Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to Gospel in the City. Um, my name is Sam. Um, if we haven't had a chance to chat yet, it's really great to see you uh, along today. If this is your first time back after the summer, hope you had a hope you had a great summer. Um, I've got an apology to make as we start, which is that um, the handout that uh, I sent to be printed this week, I think, is last week's handout, unfortunately. So, apologies about that. But We shouldn't need too much uh, from it, but can I draw your attention just as we start to the notices that are pretty much the same as as last week. Um, One of the things we're doing this autumn that's a bit different is we're going to make sure to put on two two talks in uh, in October and November that are trying to answer some of the big questions that people in our offices might have about God. So we're calling it, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And we've kind of been conducting a survey um, in our offices to try and find out what the most popular questions people might ask are. So that, and then what we're doing is we're going we're to try and answer the two most popular questions. Uh, so if you've been reading your emails, you'll see that there was a survey uh, being sent out with a kind of a link to an online form where you can go and fill that in. And so you can see we're, kind of, we're suggesting five kind of big questions that people might want to ask. And then we're giving space for people to, to put their own one in. So the the questions are, isn't faith just a psychological crutch? Is God anti-gay? If there is only one God, how come so many people have different views about him? If God is really there, why doesn't he make himself clearer? And isn't the Bible just a bunch of fairy stories? Now, I I can tell you from the survey results so far, we've actually got a three-way tie for first place. Uh, So number one, number three, and number four are all tied in first place. So if you want to change that, if you think your colleagues or you yourself would prefer us to answer different questions than those, um, get filling in the survey, share it around your office, maybe give them this piece of paper and ask people to circle which one they want. Do whatever it takes to to maybe uh, share those with your colleagues. And we're finding that actually that's, that's getting good conversations going. People are actually quite interested to have a chat about something that's not Brexit or about the football or whatever. Chance to maybe just raise a question that, that is a bit bigger and, and see how people respond. So I encourage you to do that. We're going to close the survey this, this Friday, so try and do it in the next day or so, uh, please, and, and then we'll, we'll be able to get the speakers in and, and get that organised. Um, so that's that. And then you can see that we're... Um, another thing to, just to let you know about is... This autumn, we've lost um, Stephen, who was around here every week. Uh, he used to do quite a bit of the kind of admin of Gospel in the City. And so we're looking for a bit of help with, with podcasting and with printing. So if you could be on a rotor to either um, upload the weekly podcast and do a tiny bit of editing on that, uh, or if you could be on a rotor to help with the printing and bring along, hopefully, the correct handout, if I send the correct handout to you, um, and help us out with that, that would be great. Just have a chat to me or give us an email if you could help with that. Okay, that's enough um, admin. We're looking at the book of Haggai uh, over the next uh, four weeks, and uh, we're into Haggai chapter two this lunchtime. You've got a handout there that's got the, got the whole of Haggai printed out on it. So I'm going to read from Haggai chapter two. Um, but before that, let, let me pray and give thanks for the food and ask for God's help. Our Father in heaven, we do want to thank you that this lunchtime we were able to get away uh, 
to get out of the office, be able to share some food and some drink together, and most of all, to be able to open up uh, your word together. We thank you for the gift of the Bible, uh, for this prophecy of Haggai, and we pray that you'd speak to us from it today and send us away encouraged as we seek to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's pick up the prophet Haggai, start of chapter 2, and we're going to read the first nine verses. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Almighty. Fantastic. Well, um, one of the things um, I was going to draw your attention to as we started today was a quote from uh, the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. If you know that letter, it's a very long letter towards the, in the New Testament, the part of the Bible written after the coming of Christ. And um, I'll just read it to you um, and you'll just have to listen out. Sorry, I haven't been able to get it on the handout today. Here's what Paul says. He says, stand firm Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. I'll read that again. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Um, The work of the Lord, in context, as you read through what Paul's saying, is, is very clearly not just sort of ordinary work, It's what you would call gospel work, stuff that um, helps people to to know the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ uh, more for themselves. It looks like encouraging other Christians. It looks like potentially partnering financially in the work of sharing the gospel. It's that kind of stuff, okay? The work of the Lord is, is gospel work. And interestingly, Paul says to the church in Corinth, brothers and sisters, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. So I don't think he means, right, all of you quit your day jobs and go and be full-time gospel workers. Don't all go and be missionaries or ministers or pastors. I don't think that's what he means. But I think what he must mean then is for each of us as Christians, if we are Christians, should be giving ourselves fully to to the work of the Lord in whatever ways we can in our different contexts and opportunities and environments. So, uh, you know, for the, for the, for the mum who's uh, at the school gate, what does it look like for her to give herself fully to the work of the Lord? Um, what does it look like for the retired person to give themselves fully to the work of the Lord? 
What does it look like for us to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord in our workplaces? Well, that's the challenge that Paul gives us. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. But here's the reason, the motive that he gives us. He says, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not a waste of time, in other words. It's not something that's going to be here today and gone the next day. It's not vanity. It's not uh, something that's just going to be blown away by the sands of time. Because Paul says that the, the Lord Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's alive uh, forevermore. And that means that things that we do for him and uh, helping people to come to know him, that is going to be work that lasts forever. Uh, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, the reason I say all that is because I wonder if actually that, that motive, that encouragement that the labor of the Lord is not in vain, I wonder if we struggle a bit with that. I, I, I think I probably do sometimes. I think I sometimes think to myself, you know what? Investing myself in, in serving the Lord Jesus, in trying to talk to other people about him, you know, maybe share the, the questions, things like that, that does feel like a bit of a waste of time. Because so little seems to come of it. So little seems to be happening. Uh, it just seems to be something that does vanish into thin air. And that's where uh, this uh, little section of the book of Haggai comes in this lunchtime. Um, uh, last, week we, um, last week we saw the prophet Haggai encourage the people to, to do the work of the Lord. And the work that, that God particularly called them to in their time was to rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed about 70 years earlier. And the people had let it lie in ruins for a number of years while they'd been busy building their own houses, uh, advancing their careers, rebuilding the economy, that sort of thing. And so Haggai, last week, we heard him say, no, your first priority needs to be to do the work of the Lord, to get on with rebuilding the temple. And uh, we saw last week that the people recognized God speaking through Haggai, and they began to start work last week. Well, now in chapter two, it's about a month month after this, okay? So they've just made their first steps in this work. And along comes a national holiday. Uh, It's the Feast of Tabernacles, and you were meant to take a whole week off uh, to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Um, and what you did was you actually went camping for a week. Uh, all the people of Israel went camping and lived in tents, the Tabernacles, for a whole week. And the reason they did that was because they were celebrating the, um, the events of the Exodus, when God's people came out of Egypt, you remember, and they camped in the desert as God led them through the wilderness, giving them manna from heaven, feeding them with water from rocks, all of that great stuff. If we've kind of grown up in church, hopefully we'll be familiar with that story. Well, that's what the people were celebrating. And so they took a week off from the work. And then on the very last day of that holiday, God sends Haggai along again to the people to preach a sermon. Uh, So let's have a look at what Haggai is to say. Verse 2. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? So that's the, those are the kind of questions that Haggai was sent to ask the people. Um, maybe, we'll make this maybe slightly interactive for a second. How do you think... Um, how do you think the people must have been feeling about, about the work that they'd started, if that's the questions that Haggai is asking? 
Disappointed? Yeah, why why'd you say that? I Name. Mm. Yeah, so uh, if you didn't pick that up, um, disappointed because it probably wasn't very impressive. Yeah, the work that they'd begun, they seem to be looking at it and thinking, this is just hopeless. This is rubbish. This looks like nothing in our eyes. Um, and probably, if you do the sums, probably there were some elderly members of the community who could actually remember the temple before it had been destroyed. 80-year-olds or whatever, who in their childhood had seen uh, the temple that had been built by the great King Solomon with all the gold and the silver and the bronze, the wonderful furnishings, uh, all the priests going in and out, everything beautiful and perfect. And they look at what they've begun and they can see already, even though they've only just begun, this is just hopeless in comparison. This is going nowhere. This is going to be nowhere near as good as Solomon's temple. It looks like nothing in their eyes. And so, yeah, this, this, this sense of discouragement, um, of disappointment, seems to have infected the community. And I wonder if with maybe just a small tweak, I wonder if that sense of disappointment and discouragement could actually capture the feeling of many of us as Christians uh, in Northern Ireland today. If we, if we say that it's not the house, the physical house that we're building, but sort of God's house in terms of the church, I wonder if we would also be tempted to say sometimes, it actually looks like nothing in our eyes, at least with comparison to what's gone before. Um, I'm a member of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, and yesterday I received... Oh, I've got the wrong one again. I've made so many errors today. I've grabbed the wrong... They, they publish everything in this blue book. And it's, 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 um, oh, I, had a stat, I don't know if you've ever seen it. We publish every year in our denomination statistics, right? And I got mine yesterday. And at the back, you can basically find this chart. And it just has the number of people in the, in the denomination. And it just goes like that, basically, over the last 20 years. It's just every year. You know, there's no expectation anyone in the church has that this year it's going to, you know, uptick. Nobody has that expectation. It's just going downhill. Um, I did remember to bring this, um, which is a history of the 1859 revival. Hands up if you've heard of the 1859 revival. Okay, most of us, right. So it's sort of a memory that a lot of us have in the background of our minds, that, that in 1859 there was this great revival that swept across Ulster. And do you know one of the things that resulted from that revival? People meeting at, during their working day to pray together. Um, so I want to read you uh, a kind of a gospel in the city in 1859 in uh, Coleraine Town Hall. Um, this is kind of eyewitness testimony. I may here mention that our town hall in Coleraine has been the scene for seven months of one of the most blessed fruits of God's gracious work among us. Early in June, a meeting for united prayer by members of all evangelical denominations began to assemble at half past nine o'clock to continue for half an hour. For months, the spacious hall be, be, continued to be filled at the appointed hour, and up to this day, January the 12th, 1860, a very large attendance of earnest worshippers assembles for praise and prayer. So there you go, half an hour, every workday morning from 9.30 till 10, hundreds of people from all denominations were gathering, and that was just in Rain, right? This was happening in Belfast and other places too, uh, for praise and for prayer. Well, I've got to tell you, three years running Gospel in the City, we haven't quite seen that kind of response so far. And so for me, and I guess for you, we must wonder to ourselves, is it really worth investing in the work of the Lord, building God's house, particularly in our workplaces, which, which aren't exactly encouraging us to get involved in talking about the Gospel, 
share these questions with people. It's just not going to be that welcome necessarily, is it, a lot of the time? And I guess you must have been feeling like that when I mentioned those questions. And so I wonder if the work of the Lord today, particularly in the workplace, does that look like nothing in our eyes? Well, this is why we need to hear what God says to Haggai. And so we've got two encouragements uh, from the prophet Haggai this morning uh, that he gives to the people then that hopefully we can learn from today. So the first encouragement is in verses 4 to 5. So have a look at verse 4. Here's what Haggai says. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Build the house, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Now, before we look at the detail then of what Haggai says, it's worth just stopping a minute and thinking about what he doesn't say. So does Haggai say, guys, this temple that you've begun, it's a lot better than you think it is. It's actually, you know, just do your best effort and God's going to be pretty pleased with what you're doing. It's, it's really much better than you think. He doesn't say that, does he? Because Haggai actually doesn't really want them to put the focus on what they're able to do themselves. He wants to put the focus on God and on his promises. Um, and that's why he starts talking about this covenant. He says, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So remember, the people have just been celebrating a week's holiday camping when they're looking back to the time that God led his people out of Egypt and made the covenant with them on Mount Sinai. And at that time, there were loads of visible signs of God's presence among them. Not least, there was a great pillar of cloud uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night that led the people through the wilderness. It protected them from their enemies. And that was really the sign, wasn't it, that God was with them, that God by his spirit was leading them and he was going to bless them and and protect them. But the people in Haggai's time did not have that fiery, cloudy pillar leading them. They didn't have any visible signs of God's presence among them. And if you think back to last week, we said that they'd actually been sent into exile because of their sin and they've been able to return, but now... They're living with with very little to kind of encourage them day by day. And so Haggai wants to remind them that God's covenant still continues. It's a continuing covenant. Um, The promises that he made to them when they came out of Egypt still remain. God's spirit was still with them, even though they couldn't see him. And I think that's encouraging for us, isn't it? Because we obviously don't necessarily have a physical or visible sign that the Holy Spirit is with us today. Um, Whatever your kind of views are on charismatic gifts and that kind of thing, we don't necessarily see that on a regular basis, um, and we don't always know if that definitely is the Holy Spirit. And so we're kind of left questioning. But Haggai wants to say, look, if we are gospel people, if we're people who are believing in Jesus and trusting in him, then we are still members of God's covenant. God has promised to be our God, and we will be his people. And that means his Holy Spirit is still with us. Um, I was uh, speaking a couple of months ago to a couple of people who are involved in an international evangelistic ministry who are, who are both here from Northern Ireland. 
And they were saying, you know, as they go all around the world, they see so many signs of God's spirit at work in all these different countries. And then they come back to Northern Ireland and they say, well, they don't really see much sign that the Holy Spirit's at work here. I think Haggai would want to say to them, well, it's great to have visible signs of God's presence, but we don't need them. What we need to remember is that God's promises still stand. His covenant continues. If we're still uh, following Jesus, then his Holy Spirit is still with us. And that means we should be strong. We can work. We can get involved in serving God and not worry that, that it's all just going to be kind of making bricks without straw. It's all just going to kind of disappear. It's all just going to be a waste of time. It's all in our effort. No, God says he is with us. He's with us. If we do take the opportunity to go and share those questions, if we do take the opportunity to ask somebody uh, what they did at the weekend and maybe tell them what we did at the weekend um, and talk about church or that kind of thing, we can trust that God is with us. Okay, how are we doing for time? Right, we'll have to look more briefly at the second encouragement, um, a greater glory. Um, Verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Um, this shaking is a kind of, is a sort of a metaphorical picture. It's talking about kind of God sort of doing an earthquake type thing, but it's, it's the heavens and the earth. It's kind of the whole universe being shaken. Um, and again, if we look back to the time of the Exodus, we find that when God came down on Mount Sinai to make a covenant with his people, the mountain literally shook. And it seems like Haggai is saying, well, God's going to do the same thing again. When his presence comes among us, it's as though not only the earth, but heaven as well will be shaking as God's kind of powerful, weighty presence comes among us. And that is going to produce uh, revolutionary impacts uh, across the whole world. Verse 7, I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. So do you see what's going to happen? What the people can't do themselves, God is going to do for them. They're looking at the temple saying, this is a load of rubbish. And God's saying, don't worry about it. I am going to glorify the house myself. The people are saying, well, we haven't got the silver or the gold to make this house as good as it should be. And God's saying, don't worry about it. Verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, but, listen to this, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And I don't think that means that God's just going to supply more silver and gold, partly because there never was more silver and gold in this temple. This, this temple was never as good physically as Solomon's. I think the greater glory that God is speaking about is a different kind of glory, a better kind of glory. And the secret to what that is, is in verse 7. You see there, God says, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. That's a good translation of what is quite a cryptic phrase. And there are a few different uh, understandings of what that means. I'm just going to tell you what what I and quite a lot of people uh, think. Um, The desired of all nations is a person, and particularly it's a king. The very first king uh, of Israel in the Old Testament was King Saul, and he was called the desired 
of all Israel. Okay? People wanted him to be the king. They, they, they wanted Saul, and so he was the desire of all, all Israel. And I think Haggai is saying here that there's going to be a king who comes who's not just the desired of all Israel, but the desired of all the nations. And when that king comes, when God shakes heaven and earth so that that king comes, that is going to be when God fills his house with a greater glory, a greater glory than silver or gold. And so when we turn to the New Testament, it's very interesting to read that um, when the infant Jesus is brought to the temple by his mother and father, uh, he meets an old man in the temple called Simeon who's been told to wait there. And as Simeon takes uh, the child Jesus in his arms, you remember what he says? He says, Lord, now you can let your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the nations and glory for your people Israel. God glorified that house, that that lowly, unimpressive house that the people were building by sending his son there. The glory has come to that temple. And of course, Jesus in his life came a number of times to the temple, not least to be tried by the Jewish authorities and condemned to death in the temple courts. Um, And we go on very briefly the Lord's, there's, there's one more thing that the Lord does in these verses. So he shakes heaven and earth. He uh, fills the house with glory. And then finally, you see at the end of verse 9, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And so what do we find when the risen Lord Jesus first comes and meets his, apostles, uh, his disciples, his followers, on Easter Sunday morning? The first words that he says to them are, peace be with you. Because Jesus has died to take away their punishment, to take away their sin, and to establish peace between us and God forevermore. And so he sends his his followers out to all the nations with this great message of the gospel, that God has come, his own son has come, to give us peace uh, forever. And friends, I think just in conclusion, that's why we're here today, isn't it? One way or another. We're here this lunchtime. Because the desired of all nations has come and many, countless millions of people have responded to him and have come to worship him. Jesus really is the one who is the fulfillment of the longings and the hopes of all the nations. We've seen that. No other faith, no other religion has had anything like the global impact that Christianity has. And it's still having that impact today. And so if you're a Christian here this uh, lunchtime, um, I hope you're encouraged to see that the labour of the Lord is not in vain. As long as we look in the right place for glory. If we look at visible glory, well, yeah, it's not looking great. But if we remember that as long as we're trusting in Jesus, his spirit remains with us. And as long as we remember that God's greater glory, his own son, has already come to give us peace, then I think we can be super confident to invest ourselves fully in the work of the Lord in whatever ways we can, even here in our workplaces in Belfast City Centre. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that you perhaps have felt, as you've heard something of the message of the Christian faith, something of the tug that has called us to respond to Jesus, something of the way that he is the one who is the desire of all nations. And I hope you've maybe even continued to feel a little bit of that tug as we've been talking this lunchtime. Well, let me finish there. 
and lead us in a prayer. Our Father God, we we do want to thank you that you were at work 2,000 years ago to fulfill your promises, shaking the heavens and the earth in the coming of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you that you did fill that temple in Jerusalem with glory as your own Son came there. And Father, we praise you that ultimately he came to Jerusalem to die and to rise again in order to give us peace. Our Father, we pray that you'd help us as we go back into our workplaces this lunchtime to be to be aware of just how great and how vast your purposes are, to, to, to be aware of just how much you have fulfilled and how good you have been to us. And so, our Father, we pray that you'd send us back to our offices, those of us who are following you today, uh, confident, steadfast, strong, and wanting to be fully involved, as far as we can be, in the work that you are doing in our workplaces. And so we ask that for Jesus' name's sake. Amen.